Uh, this evening, we are going to be meditating and reflecting together in this uh, unusual manner on the, uh, on the story of Elijah, on the events of this great prophet in his life. And it's found uh, mainly in the first book of Kings from chapter 17 onward and a little bit into the second book of Kings. Uh, these things, uh, these events occur in the roughly the 800s uh, BC. And uh, it is uh, a profoundly important part of the sacred history uh, because Elijah is a great prophet. He is prophet of uncompromising integrity and honor. He speaks simply and clearly. He speaks truth to power. And he does so with a, a dazzling clarity, so much so that he's very uncomfortable for the, the leadership of the country and for pretty well everyone else. He is one of those prophets who they say comfort the afflicted, but above all, afflict the comfortable. And Elijah, whose very name means Eliahu, uh, my God is Yahweh, that says in his name who he is. He is uh, dealing with a country which after the division of the kingdom of uh, when King Solomon died, the uh, Judah and Israel, the northern and southern kingdoms split. And in the northern kingdom, which is close to a lot of pagan places, the leading societies of their day, the kind of cutting edge, the avant-garde in uh, Sidon and Tyre and places like that on the coast, uh, the, the kings of uh, the northern kingdom decided that they would want to move up a little bit in the world and kind of put behind their rather uh, narrow, they might feel, religion and uh, get with it, get with the... Uh, the kind of advanced thinking of their age. And so uh, the prince, the crown prince of uh, the northern kingdom, Ahab, whose name surprisingly enough means love, but that's not very much the way he lived. Uh, he married the princess from uh, the coast, from the pagan kingdom of Sidon. And uh, she was a worshiper, maybe even a priestess of Baal. Baal and Ashtar and all these various uh, gods and goddesses of the time were fertility gods and fertility goddesses. Uh, it was a worship of nature itself. Uh, this is not unknown. In fact, it happens in our very day. We don't quite have people uh, dancing around the, uh, the altar the way we see in uh, chapter 18 of, of uh, the first book of Kings. But this very idea that we worship nature itself, the forces, the powers, the passions, the, all that, that very idea is really something which Elijah was prophesying against as he prophesied about the purity and the integrity of faith in the one Lord God, not this kind of uh, very uh, sensual and often very morally corrupt with all the various temple prostitutes and things like that in this worship of nature, of Baal and Asherah and these goddesses and gods. That was the religion of Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab. And so it was a kind of a, a smart political move, you might say, to marry a princess from one of the, the leading pagan countries. But obviously it was a great disaster for the people of God. Because no sooner did Jezebel move into her new kingdom, but she began to persecute the prophets of the Lord and have them killed. She overturned the altars of the Lord. She began to establish this pagan culture, this pagan worship within uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. And that, of course, caused enormous suffering to God's people. Just think about it. It's a pagan culture, trendy, modern, avant-garde, which is crushing and 
alienating and cutting off, marginalizing those who have simple worship of the Lord God, the Ten Commandments, the law of God, all those other things. And so there we are. We have, that's the situation of the reading today. And there's already been um, persecution. Uh, the, the, the prophets of the Lord have been persecuted by Jezebel. Many have been killed. Um, Elijah arises out and he goes and confronts Ahab the king and Jezebel the queen. This is really speaking truth to power. Not in the way sometimes it's done where it's probably you get more credit for doing that than you do any danger. But for Elijah, he was in very real danger. For a good part of his uh, story in the Bible, here he's running for his life. We see a bit of that in the reading in chapter 19, which we'll meditate upon today. But he is there. We have his uh, a thing which is referred to in the New Testament, the miracle as he is on the road, on the run, and he uh, heals and helps the widow of Sarephath and heals her son, brings him back from the dead. But then we have the great confrontation among Carmel. And um, the prophets of Baal, who have already, uh, the, most of the priests and the prophets of, of the Lord have been killed already, but Elijah alone re remains. He takes on the 400 prophets of Baal. And they have these two altars laid out, and the sacrificial animals are put on them. And um, prophets of Baal get the first chance. They hop and dance, slashing themselves, all kinds of rather uh, peculiar ritual ceremonies they have. Uh, a little bit, uh, well, let's say peculiar, uh, and nothing happens. And then uh, Elijah, the great prophet of God, he pours water on the altar, a lot of water, and prays to the Lord God, and fire comes down from heaven, and the offering is received. And then he kills the prophets of Baal, who have killed the prophets of, of the Lord. And so you can see, this is a conflict between the Lord God and the, the religion which is being um, put into Israel by Jezebel. There's obviously a profound conflict here between Elijah and the king and especially Elijah and Jezebel. So he flees. He flees for his life, obviously, after that. Um, and uh, he's on the run once more. And that's where the passage comes that I'll be reading today, chapter 19 of the first book of Kings. When we think of Elijah, to reflect upon these words, this, this is a powerful incident in the Old Testament where Elijah, who himself is rather dramatic, I mean, it's hard to find a more dramatic prophet, casting down fire from on earth, from on high, and asking the Lord to do that, a man of extraordinary violence, you might almost say, in his uh, defense of the Lord. Uh, and uh, at the end, he's the famous one at, at, when he has his, uh, his successor, Elisha, uh, is, and he's brought up to heaven in the, in the famous movie, Chariots of Fire. Well, it's based upon Blake, but that's based upon Elijah. He's brought up into heaven by a chariot of fire. So fire, and thunder, lightning, these are very much part of Elijah. And yet this most uh, spectacular of the prophets, fighting sort of against the forces of evil, very much, again, always all these things remind me of the Lord of the Rings, forced against these powers, this, uh, I don't know, Gandalf-like figure. He discovers in the passage today, not fire and lightning and thunder, but a gentle breeze. That in the midst of our struggles in this earth against forces which now are more subtle, but just as bad as what Elijah faced, it is the Lord God has found, not in thunder and lightning and all of that, 
but in a gentle breeze, in the gentle voice, in the gentleness, in the heart of the storm, we must be attentive to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Later on, Elijah, in a sense, came back in a figure very much like him, John the Baptist. That austerity, that purity, that integrity. And John the Baptist takes on Herod. And we have something, a kind of a repetition, a sequel to Elijah at the time of the Lord. He is the one who goes before the Lord. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is there in glory. And with him are Moses, the great lawgiver, and Elijah, the one who is the great prophet, the one who speaks of God with absolute integrity and simplicity. His approach is his own. It is what the Lord called him to. But that simplicity, that integrity, that clarity of faith is something from which we need to learn. As in our own situation, our own different way, we are called to proclaim God in this world in which we live. So now, let's enter into a spirit of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us so we may be attentive in our hearts, that we may hear the still, quiet voice with which you speak to us through the words of sacred scripture. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Take away from each of us those things within us, those sins, those things, the hardness of heart, that are a barrier to listening to your word in the midst of this so confusing world. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, else the journey will be too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and walked in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. 
And there he came to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, slain your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abamehloth, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And him who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Now he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid, and he arose and went, and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. Elijah is alone. He's facing the wicked king, the wicked queen. They have the power. And they have slain all of the prophets but him. And they are angry at the way in which he has called down the fire of God upon the prophets of Baal. And he has slain them. And you can see he is fleeing for his life. In this kind of a situation where the prophet, the one who is seeking to be faithful to God, is alone and is discouraged, 
is something that we need to reflect about in our own world. This is very dramatic with fire from heaven and things of that type. But in our society, in our world, around the world, so very many of those who seek to serve the Lord God are facing Ahab and Jezebel. They are once more there in this world. They change names, they're different people from age to age. And yet the ones who seek to be faithful to the Lord are very often outnumbered, you might say outgunned. They are pressed down by the power of the state. And so it takes great courage and strength. So many people flee from that, flee from the persecution. We think in our own day, there is no group more persecuted than the Christians in this world. And yet we also see others are persecuted too. We see in some Muslims are persecuted, particularly in, um, in this world, and think particularly in China, where of course the, the Christians are being massively persecuted, and other places too. This persecution of those who seek to proclaim their faith is a reality which is not very often thought about. So maybe it's good from time to time to read the story of Elijah as he stands up to that wicked power couple of Ahab and Jezebel. The, the clothing is different, the culture is different, the style is different. But there are messages here. Often when we read the sacred scriptures, we should try to understand what is being said in that context, but then make an application to our own world. So maybe let's think about those who are afraid and are fleeing for their lives, who are seeking refuge from the wickedness of persecution of their faith. He, he flees to Beersheba, which is in Judah, another country, it's the second, the southern kingdom, and he leaves his servant there. So let's say a little prayer now for all of those people who alone on the run are fleeing for their lives in the face of massive and by any human standards, unstoppable persecution. But he himself went today's journey into the wilderness and he came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my fathers. He is discouraged. And why would he not be discouraged? We think of even the great saints who face such discouragement and the face of what seems like unrelenting, unstoppable, uh, persecution and suffering from which there is no escape. He says, here I am, Lord, I'm done. I can't go any further. It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Discouragement can come over anyone. When you face the reality of evil and its seeming omnipotence, which is an illusion, but it may seem, I think of those people standing before the Roman governor in the days of the apocalypse, the, the book of the Bible I've studied the most. Soldiers to the right and the left. What are we to say for them? There they are. They are so alone. And yet they see through all of that to the glory of the Lord, the Lamb upon the throne, the glory of our risen Lord. It's maybe especially in this Easter time that we should think 
of all of those facing such great tribulation who can become discouraged. And think of ourselves in our own way, in whatever it may be. It may not be what Elijah is facing, but there are other ways in which we can be discouraged, feel helpless, powerless, alone. Say, I've had it, it's enough. I just recently was watching, as I sometimes do on, on my little tablet, uh, these documentaries and seeing some about the, the depression in the 1930s, the kind of the desolation and the hopelessness that came upon the people facing, in that case, it wasn't persecution for religion, it was rather economic disaster. Think of the refugees who are fleeing in various places in this world, how much they have been oppressed and how discouraged it might get. Let's say a prayer now as we do that, thinking of Elijah as he just had reached the end of his rope. May we ourselves reach out in prayer and in any encouragement we can give to people, people we may know in our own neighborhood, wherever they may be, maybe especially in these days when there is this social isolation and a lot of people alone, a lot of people lonely, a lot of people who may feel they're at the end of their rope. How can we reach out to them and give them encouragement? It's something we always need to think about. And sometimes, you know, I suspect Elijah, because he comes this man in very simple clothing and just a leather thing and all that. He's a very, like uh, John the Baptist was dressed like Elijah, very scrawny and, you know, rugged figure. And I can imagine when he was in despair and discouragement, it would, it would be pretty obvious. If anyone were around, of course, nobody was. But sometimes people can have that same desolation within their hearts, and yet there's an external cheerfulness, an external shell, a mask, an illusion. And we may not realize behind that, that there is a great deal of discouragement. And may we reach out and recognize that. May we be less concerned with ourselves and all our cares and troubles so that we can notice the sadness that you can sometimes see in the eyes of someone who may otherwise seem to be doing just fine. And yet who is in the position of Elijah, running for his life, desperate and afraid, in fear, in great fear. Let's pray for everyone in that situation and pray to the Lord that if we are in that situation, we may say, Lord, help me, take me, give me your comfort. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Then he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, else the journey will be too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and walked in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of the Lord. 
So he was helped. And it's interesting here. This is very straightforward. It says earlier when he is hungry and he goes to the widow, um, he needs some food. Uh, let's not be angelic about our needs so the angels may come to help us. But an angel means a messenger of God. And we need to be ourselves in our own way, messengers of God to reach out. And when we give help to people, to give a kind word, to say a prayer above all, but nothing beats a little cake baked on stones and a jar of water. Um, our faith is very incarnational. Uh, that's what he needed. Uh, think, of, think of our Lord. Remember he raises the young girl up from, from the dead and he says, give her something to eat. Give her something to eat. And remember after the resurrection when he's seen on the beach there by the apostles, he says, uh, come on, here's have some breakfast. We can get in our faith a little too, you know, ethereal. You got to realize. And so the angel, God sends the angel, God sends his messenger to give him something to eat and drink. And he goes back to sleep again. And the angel comes again a second time and he touches him physically. Always watch out for any faith that is not physical, not tangible. That's always a problem. It's one of the problems we have in these days that, um, you know, all this virtual stuff. Um, that's, that's sort of nice in some ways. It's good for, might be good for reading, it might be good for proclaiming the word in some ways. But our faith is not meant to be. We are not mind to mind. Uh, we don't uh, worship pixels and things like that. It just, uh, something like evening prayer and Lectio Divina can sort of be done and have been done easily, fairly easily, through, um, you know, live streaming and through the work of, of uh, salt and light and other things of that nature. But that's why we recognize a profound sense amongst all of us that the Mass is not like that. It is physical. It is not virtual. It is physical. We need that. The Lord said, take and eat, take and drink. That's why we yearn so much for the return to that, which is only held off by one thing, and that is our concern lest we cause harm to other people, as any group gathering together, including in this physical world for prayer, might do. That's why I think in the, in the mornings when over when here, I celebrate Mass. The Mass, it can, we can, it's good to hear the words, to hear the words of sacred scripture. That's good no matter what. But the actual, the Eucharist itself, we really need to be together again to receive the Lord in Holy Communion. So, in the Old Testament, the Lord sent the angel to touch him and said, Arise and eat, else the journey will be too great for you. Here is Almighty God saying to poor beaten up Elijah who's discouraged, distressed, hungry, starving and everything, and really desolate. Here, here's some food. But it isn't just as the first time, here's some food, I'm comforting you. It is because there's a purpose. Take and eat, else the journey will be too great for you. Elijah has a mission, Elijah has a purpose. He needs to come to meet the Lord and receive instructions for his mission and strength for that. And he arose and ate and drank. Yes, he did that. And walked in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. 
When we are discouraged, outnumbered, isolated, when it seems the forces of this world, perhaps our own experience of Ahab and Jezebel, whatever it may be, whatever form it takes, are too great for us, beating us down. We need strength, we need to put our trust in God, and we need to know where the mountain of God is. We need to know, we need to travel there. We need strength and consolation. That's again why it's so important to have our churches where people can come in before our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament and pour out their troubles before the Lord. I guess we can still do that in some ways, just through our minds pointing towards that, but we need that. We need to know where we can find the mountain of God. That's why we also need in our own lives to have, especially if we are not able at the moment to be able to come into our churches. That's why we need to spend time in prayer every day, to go up to the mountain of God, to the Lord who gives us strength in our struggles. We need to know where the mountain of God is, where it is in our life. And we find it in our life of prayer. And all the more we need to know that when we are facing the struggles that Elijah faces, whatever shape they take in our lives. And there he came to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars, slain your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. There he is, and I, even I, only am left. The numbers are not going up for Elijah in his work of evangelization. I think we we sometimes need to reflect on that, especially when we recognize the struggles of proclaiming the word in a society which so often turns to Baal and Ashtart, they have different names these days, the worship of nature, the worship of the self, the worship of fertility and things like that. And that's what they were doing back then and that's what they're doing now. So all this world, it's, it's a struggle the dark force of Sauron, kingdom of Mordor. It's not just a story. And this is not a story, this is the reality. So when feeling we're facing that, even I, I alone am left. They seek my life to take it away. That's when we need to come to the mountain of God, as he has done. And he explains before the Lord his needs. He comes to find help as do we all in our own different ways. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And so Elijah goes forward. And here we have this amazing account, which speaks to us of where we meet the Lord, especially in our times of greatest loneliness and greatest distress. And maybe we want some magic bullet, some big thing 
just as Naaman the Syrian wanted some fancy healing for his sickness, not just go and wash in the local river. We often seem to look for something spectacular. And in that, we miss the many splendid presence of God who comes to us as Jesus did to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, walking so quietly beside them, just a still small voice that they didn't even recognize him. Even the risen Lord speaks with a quiet voice because it's never God's plan to overwhelm us. It's his plan always to invite us. That's why he didn't come in thunder and lightning. He came as a little babe at Bethlehem. And he walked and lived and talked amongst us and just uh, in our own neighborhood. And it's in that quiet way that God always speaks to us. And we learn that in this passage from the Old Testament. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. He realized this is God. Not the thunder and lightning, not the earthquake, not the wind, not even the fire, which is unusual for Elijah because Elijah is calling down the fire of God upon the sacrifice and he's swept up to heaven in the chariot of fire. But no, that's kind of spectacular. This is the most spectacular prophet there is. But Elijah realizes, no, no, and no, that's not it. It's sort of like when Samuel is choosing the next king of Israel and all these big strong sons of Jesse are going by one after another, big spectacular, you know. No, no, no. Do you have anyone else? And then it's just little David comes in from the field. That is the one. And so in this still small voice, and maybe we need to think about that in our own life of prayer and our life of, and as we deal with our, our various Ahabs and Jezebels, whatever they may be, not necessarily people, but situations, what lead us to be as discouraged as, as Elijah, the great prophet himself, discouraged. And we do not need to seek the wind or the earthquake or the fire, but maybe just slow down a bit. Take a little quiet time every day. Say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And then we will hear the still, quiet, small voice, which is the way God usually speaks to his people in little things, in little ways. He who is so spectacular, when he heard that, he, out he went. He knew that is God. When Elijah heard it, 
He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, slain your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. He repeats exactly what he had said at the base of the mountain. This is his situation. The people have left the faith. They've rejected God. He's the only one left. This is sort of, sort of like the great novel, I don't know how great it is, but it's a very interesting novel, Lord of the World, which was written by uh, Robert Hugh Benson around early 1900s about this great antichrist coming, this fancy sort of, uh, Julian Felsenberg, I think is his name, if I remember it correctly, who is uh, a sophisticated guy, but who is the antichrist. And everyone goes after him. People are apostatizing right and left. It's, oh my gosh, there are very few faithful people left. And that doesn't, you know, I think Bishop Sheen once said, the truth, what is it now? The truth is the truth if only one person proclaims it. And falsehood is falsehood if it's proclaimed by a million. It doesn't have to do with how many people you can count. It's quite likely whole swaths of the church have gone into apostasy. It, we shouldn't think it can't happen. That's why we all need to be attentive to the still small voice and why we have to have the fidelity of Elijah and not get swamped. And there he is. He gives his position before the Lord. And the Lord says to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. To replace Ahab. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abba Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So he's telling him, you're coming to the end of your mission. You've got your successor there, Elisha. And a bit later now, we, we hear about Elisha. The mantle of Elijah is picked up by Elisha when Elijah goes off in the chariot of fire. And Elisha continues the mission. It's sort of like in the, that uh, novel by Graham Greene, the, uh, the Power and the Glory. This uh, priest is very, uh, very disreputable priest, actually, but he's remained faithful. He stayed in, in Mexico in the 1920s during the persecution. And uh, he eventually gets caught by, he, he's faithful. The other more fancy ones all give it in, but he's faithful. But he ultimately is uh, removed. And, and then we hear at the very end of the story, knock, knock on the door, hello, I am Father, the church continues on, but another priest has come. So there will be another after Elijah. And him who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not vowed to vow, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he's not alone. There are 7,000 others who have been faithful. That's not much, not much at all. But from that, 
God will reconstitute the people of Israel. And he can do that. And so we need to think about a lot of important things here. A lot of this is situated in a historical time of its own way and so on. But it speaks of integrity and fidelity and of the trust in God and where we find God. Not in the wind or the earthquake or the fire, but in the still small voice, which if we can hear it in the midst of our own struggles, then they take a different form from what Elijah took, what it took for him. But there's a basic fundamental parallel here. We are not going to duplicate the experience of Elijah, but we need to apply the basic reality of that to the different situations in which we find ourselves and live with his integrity, live with his fidelity, live with his trust and his ability to hear the Lord and his courage in standing up to whatever quite different looking and different acting in some ways, whatever forces are in our world, what in his day were represented by Ahab and Jezebel and her various fertility cults. We need to look through it, see it clearly, and be faithful to the Lord. As he said in his name, Elijah means Yahweh is my God, and he never forgot it. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more. Also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Then he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, else the journey will be too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and walked in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. And there he came to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars, slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. 
But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And him who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.